I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello, and welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. I'm Michael. And I'm Scott. And thank you for joining us once again. Uh, for another episode where we get to share our love for a performer of the big screen that we just want to scream from the mountaintops about. Yes, and this is a very special episode, isn't it, Scott? Because Ooh. it is our 10th episode. Woohoo! And it is your birthday episode. Oh my god, it's my birthday episode. So I gave you free reign. Which which isn't as rare as I've just no, made that sound. No, 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 it is. Like you're actually you'd restrain me and you'd hold me back all the time. So much rules. I said, you know, who do you want to talk about? And who did you say, Scott? Well, it was quite an easy thing. When you asked me, I did think like, ah, oh, oh god, this is tough. And then I just went, No, it's not tough. It's Catherine Keener. I was thinking about what you were saying the other day about the orientation film being bullshit. Yes. I think maybe you're onto something. And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. <laughs> no. no, no, no. I was just talking about the, you know, about the, the film. Here's the thing. If you ever got me, you wouldn't have a clue what to do with me. <laughs> so the reason I chose Catherine is... Well, just because I love her and I always have. She's just one of these actresses that from kind of my formative years of enjoying films, she just always seemed to pop up like she does. Like, well, you know, Catherine Keener has done a lot of films and she just feels like she's around. And when she's around, I'm just so glad that she is there. And that makes her A, a perfect fit for this podcast, but also B, that made her a personal favourite of mine and why I want her to be my birthday present. So, yeah, Catherine Keener, she's she's fabulous. But let me run through a little bit about who this gorgeous woman is. So, uh, Catherine Keener was born on the 23rd of March, 1959, in Miami, Florida. She was the third of five children, um, one of her sisters actually being Elizabeth Keener, the actress who is known for The L Word. Uh, she is of Irish descent on her father's side and Lebanese descent on her mother's side. Woo-hoo! So more Irish. Everyone's Irish. Gosh, we can't go an episode without it. But hey-ho, uh, Catherine majored in American studies at Wheaton College in Massachusetts but ended up enrolling in a theatre course there, which is what was to shape her future. Her first film role was a very small part in a film called About Last Night in 1986. And then from there, there was a few years of kind of smaller film roles, with her first starring role coming in a film called Johnny Suede in 1991, alongside a somewhat unknown actor called Brad Pitt at the time, uh, as this was also very early in his career. Uh, This earned her a lot more recognition. It gave her an Independent Spirit Award nomination, so it then put her on the film map, so to speak. Johnny Swade was her first of four films, or four consecutive films even, 
with the director Tom DeSillo, I think that's how you say his name, forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, Living in Oblivion, Box of Moonlight and The Real Blonde to follow that one. And this is something that we found is a trend in Catherine's career. She tends to work with um, kind of directors who obviously want to work with her over and over again because she's fabulous. Uh, most notably, I would say, is Nicole Holofcener, who she worked with in Walking and Talking, Lovely and Amazing, Friends with Money, Please Give and Enough Said. She did three with the director, Spike Jones, starting with Being John Malkovich, which she got her first Oscar nomination for. She was a very tiny, I think, uncredited part in Adaptation, and then, of course, the big screen adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are. And this also links her with Charlie Kaufman. So he wrote Being John Malkovich, an adaptation. And then when he directed Synecdoche in New York, he had her in that as well. So obviously a thing going on there. Um, and I guess going back to Spike Jones as well, she played a prosthetic up elderly woman in the jackass offshoot Bad Grandpa, much like Spike Jones himself did in Jackass back in their Haiti. So I guess they must be pals or something, because that's an interesting thing to have shared. Uh, in her early career, she also gained some recognition for playing an artist in an episode of Seinfeld, where she was also Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriend. That was in 1995. She's done a few other TV work, but actually for kind of such a, a broad career, not a huge amount, which I found quite interesting. But she did uh, also star in kind of recent series as Modern Love and Kidding, which she starred alongside Jim Carrey. Uh, also, the 1996 TV movie If These Walls Could Talk, alongside Demi Moore, Sissy Spacek, and Cher. So, hey, that's a moment. Also, in 2007, the TV movie An American Crime, which earned her an Emmy nomination. But yes, like I said, film is very much her bread and butter. She's done a lot of them. Um, but in terms of other bits and pieces, just to quickly name a few more, she's obviously known for her other Oscar-nominated role in Capote playing the famous author Harper Lee, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. She's also in Out of Sight with J-Lo and George Clooney, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Sean Penn's film Into the Wild, Captain Phillips playing Tom Hanks' wife in there, and Get Out, uh, just to name a few, basically. But that's a wee summing up of Catherine Keener. Uh, a busy, busy woman, a fabulously interesting one, and one I'm really excited to have a chat about. So, Catherine, what was what was your get-in with my darling Catherine Keener, Michael? I, I feel like she was... The types of films and the types of filmmakers she was working with were kind of at the front of, like, exciting... The most exciting American film at the yeah. time when I was at an age where I was really getting into film, like my teen years. So like being John Malkovich, being like the biggest one, I guess, in like blowing my mind open yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the time. And it blew my mind when I just watched it for this podcast again. But yeah, so she's always been, it's funny, in your introduction, when you talk about her and what she means to you, I feel like I've taken her for granted. It's in rewatching these films and the my memories of these films and the moments that stuck out, a lot of it is to do with her. Mm. But I don't think I ever would have been like, she is the best thing about these movies. Um, and I think it's that's part of the films themselves and the filmmaker she's working with. You know, when you're working with like Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was playing Truman Capote, who's doing an awful lot in a story about him 
going into this quite dark place to 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 put pen to paper um it's hard then to totally notice Catherine Keener um yeah. but watching her now I'm just like oh cinema like American cinema of the last like 20 years like she's just such an important part of that particularly independent cinema um so yeah I absolutely love her for for so many things for so many different types of characters she's played whether she's antagonist or you know the friend or the colleague you want to sleep with but is uh, <laughs> very detached and <laughs> she doesn't want to she doesn't want to have anything to do with you unless you can make you can help her on her goal um to make money and do whatnot so yeah i just i am a huge i was a huge fan but now i'm an even bigger fan Good. Well, that's that's exactly the outcome we needed. So happy birthday to me. Thanks for that. Um, but it's, I guess it's similar for me. Well, no, it's not. Like I said, it. she just always felt like she was there. So I can't really put it down to a first point. But when I look through her filmography, the film of hers I probably saw the earliest was the Sidney Pollack film, The Interpreter, with Nicole Kidman and Sean Penn. But I can't I wouldn't have remembered her in that because she's certainly far from being the forefront of that film. So it would have been kind of when I was in my early teenage years and and being that kind of person who picked up like Empire or Total Film best of all time film lists and working my way through those and then other such lists and stuff and into the wild at that point was a very frequent entry i think it's because it was sort of around the time it came out if lists were like that were to come out now i'm not so sure it would be making top kind of 100 200 500s but it was there quite a bit so i think that is the first alongside capote which within a couple of years of each other came out so it was those ones where she was cemented in my head and I was like wow I was so blown away by her presence even I know because she is doing so much them. I mean, it's just such an interesting thing with Catherine I just love that she's there she doesn't have to do much and that's so often the case with what she's given to do. And I can only think that's because directors and casting directors see her as this incredibly reliable performer um, or just also presence. It's like, if she's there, you're you're going to take a lot from what she's doing, even if it's not much at all. In Capote and Into the Wild, she is kind of very present and, and is doing great stuff. So it's why those two films then kind of blew her up in my head. And then, like you, I saw Being John Malkovich and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, just going back to, like, like let's get, I guess, Into the Wild or, or Capote, but in both of those films, and to a degree, Being John Malkovich, all of them, and what you're talking about casting directors, I imagine the thing about her and why she's working with the same people again and again and I mean actors as well as um writers or directors is that she is a very generous like co-star um she like Capote watching it again for this because I have I mean Capote is a really great film for anyone that's not seen it about um Truman Capote writing in cold blood and Harper Lee, this is pre her own fame, so she, um, before To Kill a Mockingbird's been released. And she's there kind of to support 
Truman, does it, he says something along the lines of like, You're the only one I know with the qualifications to be both a research assistant and a personal bodyguard. She, she is always kind of omnipresent in that he calls her or she's there, but she's not. Her story is in the background. Like the book, her, To Kill a Mockingbird, is released. She has this moment which coincides along, or is parallel with um, Truman's writing the book and all. But you know so much about her from the few instances we have. And she's so good. And she makes Philip Seymour Hoffman better. It is just such an amazing performance that the type of quality which she does again and again and again. And Into the Wild, like Into the Wild to me is a movie. I just have, I feel very emotional just by the mention of it. And it's just, it's just, it's based on a true story of a young man basically going into the wild. And it, you know, it's, it's not a happy ending in reality in that he doesn't survive this journey, but it is also like an existentialist sort of, he has discovered himself and what he has found out about life through the uh, interactions with different people, which include Catherine Keener. It's just so like, what's the, like nourishing to watch. It's a very nourishing film, I find. And her part in it, she really, she, she's very motherly, but she's also kind of distant. Yeah, I thought my husband and I were going to just make peace on earth and babies and love and stay together forever. And that didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> he left me. But then she is not in the rest of the film, really. Like, it's a very kind of, it's not a cameo, but it's a short stint. She's well able to go into a film. She will know that she won't be the star, but she gives it everything and elevates yeah. it. She does, and that's such a good example. Can it, with Into the Wild, it's you. You're right. It's it's not like a cameo type, but she's she's probably on screen for all of I don't know, maybe five minutes, maybe ten at a push. But it's not a long time in what is a two and a half hour film. Um, but it is just this tenderness she's a very reflective character sort of this hippie traveling in a van she calls herself a rubber hippie because they have wheels whereas he's on foot but they're called rubber hippies because they have the they have the van um and uh, there's just such tenderness with her when she's on screen and this longing and sadness in her eyes but also this real hopefulness she's she's just doing so much with truly not a lot and in kind of the standard memory of her whereas I couldn't necessarily remember all she was bringing because I hadn't seen this film in probably about 10 years but I just think of her being like bathed in sunlight and and laughing with him and having these moments which are gorgeous and then the one thing that did stick in my head which I did remember is kind of in their moment where they're parting he's going back off further along the line um, and she just says, Just get your pack and get on out of here, okay? I don't, I don't think I could take a hug. Oh, gosh, it, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, but really beautiful. But we probably should also look back around to, to Capote as well, because it was um, one of her two Oscar-nominated performances. And exactly like you said, it's it's sort of the definition of a great supporting performance. It's kind of what it should be. She's not playing a wife for these sort of typical points. She's playing a very successful person in her own right, but in the story of the 
titular character, Capote. She's there to support his. She's got a lot going on in her career, but she's very there for him as a friend. And just everything she does, just by literally being sat beside him, standing beside him, it's so much in her eyes. This role sort of a master glance, a master class in the art of sort of the what she can do with the glance of her eyes. It's it's just wonderful. She's just so there. That scene towards the end. So she, the, the, it's the premiere of To Kill a Mockingbird film, and this big moment. And we've already seen Truman can lean into having enjoying his uh, adoring fans or fa- uh, friends that like him and want want him to perform. And she does not partake in that. We've seen them in parties before, and she's kind of like sees him from afar and she has no interest in that Truman Compote. She even calls him out at the start being like, you paid the bellboy to compliment you in front of me. Yeah, it's so good. Um, in a loving way, she's never being like, you're wrong for that. She she like accepts him for who he is. But there's a that point at the premiere where she's like, what did you think about the film after he's been going on about how hard his life is? I may never recover in this Pray that it turns my way. It must be difficult. Ah, it's torture. They're torturing me. I see. How'd you like the movie, Truman? She just is, you can tell everything in her eyes that she's angry, she's upset, and she's like, do you know what? Our, you're pushing our friendship too far, and I actually will, will not take this right now. And she walks away. Yeah. But you also know well, it's not like, you know, as you say, like she's kind of a wife character in terms of the, you know, she's there to support and she's there to for him to reflect and all this. And you can get, you can glean judgment of him through her eyes. But she is a strong, she's independent, which is oh, the difference. Sure. She, you need her character to support him to succeed. And when she walks away, you're like, oh, like this is the real like crux of what like, something's gonna go wrong, but nothing is said and it's not explicit. And it is, it's her her face. Cause what Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's so engrossed in, you know, Capote's issues. Yes. And like, well, great. And how amazing that director like Bennett Miller would know, I'm gonna put this on you as an actor, Catherine, to be, to communicate to this to the audience. Capote's a glorious film um, yeah. and it is it, I always thought it as like in my mind it was like you know Oscar worthy kind of heavy and it is heavy and it is is this the type of movie you watch and like of course it won awards but it's also just really good it's just a really good movie it is but yes Philip Seymour Hoffman in this is is amazing Philip he's probably my favorite male actor and I was devastated when when he passed away because I, I'm just so sad at the potential of what could have come from him but those two in particular because they then work together again twice so this is also a relationship which occurs a few times and and their chemistry is just amazing I can only assume that they must have been good friends in real life because it's it's just perfect. They they just seem to get each other. And in Capote in particular, on top of the things you've said, there's a wonderful moment where because Truman Capote is this performative type, it is all kind of a bit of an act. 
that he always says the same things to the point that she knows what he's going to say and she starts saying exactly what he is saying. I have 94% recall. recall. <laughs> Cut, Cut that, that out. out. Cut that <laughs> It's such a good sort of two-hander. Even though it's very much his thing, you're right about it's so great that the trust is put in her to convey kind of a lot of what I, like the audience really does feel about Capote from what you're seeing through that lens. Yeah, yeah. She is, she is like, if you were to think the best supporting actor of like the naughty so far, surely she'd be, regardless of gender or whatever, she would be up there. Yes. For, I mean, of course we're going to say that. We've just spent hours watching her in movies, supporting amazing performances, giving amazing performance herself. But um, no, she's so good. And I, I think we should go from this like highbrow to maybe one of her, like uh, let's set aside like, The Incredibles 2, because let's assume that's her biggest, most wide appealing yeah, film. Probably. But The 40-Year-Old Virgin, I feel like that, when I was of a certain age, that was a film that did have a wide appeal. And I mean, she was in it and she had, you know, she was the love interest to Steve Carell's 40-Year-Old Virgin, um, which is something I would have watched like like with a group of friends and stuff at the time, would you have, would it have been a thing for you? Would you have been too young again? Is this going to come? <laughs> um, so 40 year old version came out in 2005. It was on the cusp for me. I actually then saw the slightly later Judd Apatow films first. So I saw Knocked Up and Super Bad before I saw the 40 year old version. So I went back to it, but, but I get what you're saying in terms of watching these films in a group. Yeah, I mean, God, he was such, Judd Apatow was such a thing back then. Like, oh, oh look God, what he's doing for guy. American cinema. But now when, like, rewatching 40-Year-Old Virgin, it's like, please, like, why, why, how did that happen? And and how how can we make him stop? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, just, I took it as, like, a kind of a personal affront, the movie, because, because of... Because <laughs> you're a 40-Year-Old Virgin. I just found it... Because I'm a virgin. No, that is that is not appropriate conversation for this podcast. I'm not oh. forty, um, and <laughs> I mean, I so, imagine the odds yeah. are pretty pretty low in terms of me being a virgin. But that is, um, it, uh, yeah, it's just it's the type of film that is casually offensive to all sorts of people, <laughs> um, and they find. Yeah, they're finding so much humor in it. Like the characters within the film are finding humor within, like, so it's as, it's as if like, if you're not with the film, you're kind of othered anyway. So it's like the film is pushing me away in a way with A, it's humor, but B, it's characters. So like, um, I know I brought it up quite a bit since I've watched it with you being like, I know you're gay because you do a podcast where you talk about women. Um but that is a joke that um, Seth Rogen and um, what's it, Ant-Man, what's it, Paul Rudd um, do. And they're like, I know you're gay because you watch The Lake House. These, I should say, these are heterosexual characters that are in no way gay. And I don't know what they mean by gay. I don't think they mean like having sex with the man. I just think they mean it's like awful, but they just keep doing it. They also set up yeah. Steve Carell with a trans uh, woman. And the, the, the discussion around that is nasty and like is not okay yeah um women like you know Judd Apatow is married to Leslie Mann and apparently still is despite the fact like he's cast her in this like <laughs> drunk drunk like w women be out getting pissed and not be able to do uh, it's just 
like I, there's nothing. There's, there's very little redeeming in that film for me to have enjoyed. Catherine Keener's lovely in it. Yeah. But then that makes me concerned because I'm like, get away from him. Get away from these people. You deserve better. No, that's fair. I imagine at the time when she read it, because this, like, Judd Apatow was a really fresh presence in cinema in the sort of early noughties, mid noughties. Um, and I can imagine there was a draw to it. And, and sort of the things you're pointing out now therefore have aged terribly but at the time when those discussions weren't happening as much as they ought to have been this did read as a kind of fun and exciting comedy film it's still very regarded today but I agree with what you're saying but I would say if you can literally pull these things out weed out these things which have aged horribly you do still have a tale in there which is very nice and also about 10 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, it'd be longer than that. No, all jokes aside, like, I don't want to, like, censor films or whatever, but I really, I just find it, I found it a really unpleasant experience. And for a movie that's, you know, 15 years old, for someone who is celebrated, it's like Judd Apatow, no, 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 no. Well, fair, I will allow you to to send it off to a, far-flung planet to to never be seen again i don't think i'd be upset if i never saw it again um but but if there is an anchor in the film it is Catherine keener um but yes it's maybe not enough to sort of drag it away from the more problematic things but she is sort of the antithesis of those things she is confident charming lovable kind in all the good ways and, and just a really fun energy refreshing. Like you could understand why he would be so drawn to her. Um, you would understand less why she is drawn to him because she is a, a sort of wonderful presence. You know, she has children. She has all these things. She has these desires. She has these, you know, disappointments in life. She, she does have, like we've talked about with other films, she brings a lot of, baggage with her which make her character believable but also you root for Steve Carell to not just lose his virginity but move on from being this kind of man child but yeah <laughs> but yeah but yeah but yeah uh, yeah um oh, well, on to better things <laughs> on to, well let's talk about a film well I'm I'm so excited to talk about this because a, it was the one that introduced me to um, oh, yes, let's do Catherine. It. But also, I'm not joking when I say it blew my mind again. And a part of me was like, oh, I don't, do I need to rewatch Being John Malkovich for this? Because I know it so well. And oh my God, I'm, I am so glad I did. Being John Malkovich is the debut, a feature film debut of Spike Jones and of screenwriter Charlie Kaufman. And. It's the story, if people don't know, of uh, John Cusack, who is married to Cameron Diaz, and he is a puppeteer, but he's not getting anywhere. And then he starts a job on um, this floor. This, like, I forget what floor it is, like six and a half, is it? Or seven and a half? Seven and a half, I think. Seven and a half. So it's like a minute, it's, it's a half of a floor, and everything's <laughs> a bit odd. And he meets Catherine Keener, who he instantly falls in love with, basically because he has no um, 
kind of confidence and she will trample all over him is kind of it's kind of the gist of it and it works though they sell it they sell it but then they discover he discovers a door a portal and he's in John Malkovich's mind and you're in it for a few seconds and you're, you're spat out and then this and then Catherine Keener wants to make sees a financial like business opportunity of like pay, get people paying to get into Malkovich's mind but the bit of the film which has really struck me this time is Cameron Diaz, who is um, a veterinarian, is she at the start? She goes into John Malkovich's brain and she has th- this kind of, this exp- this kind of life-altering experience. Not in a simple way of like, oh my God, I'm in someone else's mind, but more like I was in a, the body of a man and I felt something I've never felt before. And when she's in Makovich's mind, he's in the shower. So she, she was very literally in a, in a man's body and experiencing a man's body. And she, the word she is using to describe her experience is all is kind of like a trans story. But and yeah. more than that, not just it's not about body, um, about the body at all. It's just more about her identity and her sexual awakening. And I Honestly, I was firstly I was really frightened or nervous because I was like, "Oh no, this is going to age so terribly." Like that, because he talks like it's like a vagina going into Malkovich's brain, like that doors a vagina into his thing. Yeah. And I thought, like, "Oh, this is very heavy." And then she starts. She literally says to John Malkovich or to John Cusack, "I've been going over and over my experience last night, Craig. It was amazing." I've decided that I'm a transsexual. I know it's the craziest thing, Craig. No, it's just that for the first time, everything just felt right. I've got to make sure. But if the feeling is still there, I'm going to talk to Dr. Feldman about sexual reassignment surgery. And I was like, oh no. Like I I in terms I just was nervous what this group of people would do with that. Mm. But the film itself is embracing it. Like it want like she becomes the the kind of hero almost. Like she's the person whose story then is the kind of what we want to succeed at the end. And more than that, Catherine Keener, when she realizes, when she hears um Cameron Diaz talk about it, she looks at her, or there's a look, it cuts to her. And she's attracted to her and she likes her. She fancies her. And it's like, it's this quite beautiful depiction of um, a relationship, regardless of gender, really. And the way it's performed by Cameron Diaz is so like gentle and considered. I yeah. was blown away. And I did, I have, I did, went to do some reading on it because, you know, I am, you know, a, a cis man. I thought, I didn't know if, if my interpretation of it would be as positive as other people. And there are varied, you know, readings of it being positive and negative and all this. But mostly it's it's pretty progressive for the for 1999, what it was suggesting um, and being kind of explicit about it. Because I don't know. I mean, most people are not going to describe being John Makovich as like a queer story. But to me, watching it this time, it really like struck me that way. Big time. No, exactly the same. That was, I mean, this is not a film you can forget. So I probably saw it at maybe a similar-ish time to you the first time round. It's a film from 1999. I mean, I certainly didn't see it then, but let's say mid-noughties I saw it. Um, And yeah, of course it strikes you. This is like, 
the 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 thing to admire about this beyond everything you've said is it's still the most audacious thing. The fact that this film exists ever in time is bananas, but wonderful. And I'm so delighted that these things can exist in the form that this one does. But right enough, when I watched it this time, it was everything you're describing, which which I was like, whoa, well, I didn't actually remember that this was going on in this film at all. I was remembering the kind of audacity and these these kind of wild ideas and, and this being unlike anything I've ever seen before and may ever see again. But no, I didn't actually remember this and I was so glad to have this from it. But you're right, Cameron Diaz is wonderful in it. But Catherine Keener is is incredible here. And and she's she's getting to do something that she's probably certainly hadn't been able to do much before. She's kind of done similar types as a character type to this since. But I mean this is a wild character. She was the only performer nominated for an Oscar for this film. And that is wild. Not because she's the only person in the film. The fact that they nominated this performance is wildly interesting. I'm so delighted by the fact that this nomination exists. Like, Catherine Keener and being John Malkovich being an Oscar-nominated performance is perfect. Like, wow that you decided to travel down that route and, and choose such an interesting, enigmatic performance. It's this the 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 queerness of it makes it wildly interesting beyond kind of the surface level stuff which is going on in the sort of early half of the movie where it does feel like a gender flipped role she's sort of playing that office bozo that no one likes overly confident sure of themselves but it's still delightful to see because it's a woman getting to embody that role um, even when she's sort of using kind of gay slurs, even those are quite funny and written in a way which I've never heard before. Like she says, like, like Darlene. No, 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 wait, listen, listen. Oh no, wait, 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 no, you have to go back. So John Cusack has um, has like tricked her basically into getting a drink because, like, if I can guess your name correctly, and it is a very funny scene that goes, he's like, mm, Martha, Louise, yeah. uh, Maxine, and it's like, how did you know that? And anyway, they go for a drink. And then she she's like teasing him. I like you. I don't know what it is about you. I just my tits. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's your energy, your attitude. You know the way you carry yourself. She does use the F word, which I will not use here. Um, so you're a insert gay slur, and and he says, no, no, I'm not. I love your tits and whatever. She's like, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, we can share recipes, whatever. It's like, no, I really, really love your tits. <laughs> and she, okay grand we can have a drink then so she is she is do you know what though one thing i will say about that because i agree with you i think in she's very contemporary in general Catherine keener even in something like capote she gives this contemporary mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. uh, vibe to her so definitely that's a really good way of putting it but, but there's like if you think of like the you know thelma ritter and all about eve or in um, mildred pierce i forget the woman's name who supports um john Q uh, john crawford those sorts of people those characters existed in these women's pictures at that time so to what she kind of embodies that but in a contemporary way which also is more like a masculine stereotype too is a really fascinating character as you say because you're right cameron diaz would have been a much I'm not saying she wouldn't have been deserving because I totally think she would have been well, deserving. She of been, yeah, but yeah, she would yeah. have been a more obvious choice in terms exactly. of exactly. 
she's the hero of the story. She goes, yeah. she's literally locked up by John Cusack, which is awful to watch. All these things happen to her. Um, but no, Catherine Keener is so good. You're right. She just teases them. She's like, you cannot take your eyes off her. And I guess that's the bit going back of like, once Cameron Diaz is choices or her, like not even a choice because it's not as simple as that, which is why it's so beautiful. Her like awareness of like, I want to explore this when it's validated by Catherine Keener, because you already are like, this character is a, you know, no bullshit sort of person. You're like, oh, like, this is it. Like, this is where the story could go and will, you know, will go if all succeeds and John Cusack doesn't have his grubby ways with, <laughs> with yeah. the story. Like, so you're right. Oh, she's glorious. With Catherine in this as well, though, which I think is quite interesting, is that there's such an immediacy to her on screen. She's sort of kicked back in this chair at the back of this tiny half-height office sort of just kind of mysterious, sexy, staring on, kind of glancing away, not really giving a shit about what's going on. And it just gives her this immediate star power, which I found quite shocking watching now, considering I've watched so much Catherine Keener since coming back to this. And the fact that she, like we described her earlier, as being sort of the ultimate supporting actor, certainly of that period of time, sort of the noughties or whatever... I'm like, it, was this her solidifying herself as a supporting character, I guess, as she is in this? But I'm so confused. It's like the the absolute whack of star power that comes off her so immediately. I'm then confused. I'm like, but why was that not harnessed? Why mm. why was she not allowed to be the, this this kind of sexy, enigmatic character, which she is here so brazenly where it's just so immediate or certainly i found it so like 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 it really kind of smacked me in the face this time of being like wow the the kind of the the star wattage here is is tremendous and i'm i'm confused as to why that perhaps was not harnessed in more lead roles perhaps going forward it's really because looking at her career from that point like so she does um well i let's assume that these weren't were made I, I won't include the people she worked with pre John McAfee but like Death to Smoochie which is mm. this movie with Robin Williams and Ed Norton where she plays exactly the same person again right. to a point okay. but it's not a it's not a good use of her well her anybody's time really it's a it's a really interesting failure directed by Danny DeVito um but then she doesn't really do like the interpreter 40 year old virgin obviously Capote you know Simone for whatever reason it doesn't doesn't come off I mean one film in this this kind of like this is 2005 but like post being John Malkovich which does a, is trying to get is, is removing her from like the maybe what people saw in being John Malkovich and like to want to repeat is the Ballad of Jack and Rose which is sadly not what I thought which was a sequel to Titanic I know um, it's <laughs> and it's Rebecca Rebecca Miller's film starring um her Mr. Rebecca Miller, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, um, as Jack and uh, a young woman called Camilla Bell playing Rose. And they are a secluded father and daughter that have a terrible relationship. And so he's dying and he decides, let's bring in Catherine Keener to... Because why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's just, do you know what? I, I mean, the film... The... <laughs> 
I would imagine that film, I mean, I know we've got mixed reviews. I imagine audiences will have wildly different reactions to this film. Yeah. But my the reaction I will take from it, because I feel like I've been down on too many film series, I think Catherine Keener is incredible in it. As this woman who's like been put into this like situation and doesn't know what to do. So there's a girl that's trying to kill her with like a gun and a snake and all this sort of stuff. Daniel Day-Lewis, he's not communicating. Yeah, I just think she's really, she's really great. And she's like, she tries to, to improve the situation. There's a really nice interaction between her and Daniel Day-Lewis. Still in school? I took her out when she was 11. How could you not have sent her to school? Don't believe in factory farming, I teach her here. Well, Rose is the way you made her. What are you getting at, Kathleen? Well, you raised her, so she couldn't love anybody else. I mean, she's not used to having anybody around here. We come along and she gets a little upset. What are you going to do when it's time for her to get a job? But that film was not seen. So then that sort of, like, I don't think many people try to, like, expand the sort of roles she could be given. Yeah. Do you think that's what happened to her career? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if she was then. It's like, there's definitely a typecasting has happened in Catherine Keener's career. For the most part, it's an incredibly interesting example of typecasting because she always comes off pretty well, not pretty well, she always comes off well 90% of the time or more. She pr probably always comes off well, really. Um, and, and she's kind of always getting to play interesting... She is kind of the master of restraint. And maybe then... Uh, maybe then folk look at it and look at that as being not interesting enough when, for me, it's the opposite. And it's like... This woman brings so much, like, come on, come on, come on, come on. But interestingly, the, the ballad of Jack and Rose, she is getting to do something wildly different. Like, for someone she's, I would say she's often quite steely. Even when she's warm, there's an edge to her. And in this, she's quite feeble. And I've not really often seen her being yeah. sort of a feeble part. So I was like, whoa. So for a start, I was so not used to it and not prepared for it. I was like, oh, no, Catherine Keener's bad in this film. And then as it went on, I was like, oh, no, no, she's not. She's actually playing this prickly, tricky character very, very well in a film which is pretty shite, I think. Now, with age, certainly, it's it's not the best. And Camila Bell gives me the fucking creeps in this film. I think she's unbearable to watch, especially towards the end. I'm like, Ugh! But Catherine's good because she's getting to do something else, which is something I admire this film for, is giving Catherine Keener the opportunity to play against this type that yeah. she seems to play. But then, like, this is the most recent example of, like, sitting down in a cinema, knowing she was in a film, being excited for the film... And it really delivering, which is Get Out, which I know oh, is, yeah. you know, a few years now. But oh my lord. And again, rewatch. That's a movie you could watch again and again and again. And I think we're forever, like being John Malkovich, get something else out of it. But she is, she, like, I should say, her and Bradley Whitford at the start. So they're the parents of, um, I should have checked the woman's name. I just call her Marnie because of, I, Girls was a big thing for my um, age group. Her name is, it's Alison Williams. That's her name. Marnie. Marnie <laughs> Tegrona. Um, but yeah, so Daniel Kalu was brought home and to meet her parents. And that is Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford. So how long has this been going on? This, this thing. <laughs> how long? <laughs> Four months. 
Four months. Mm. Uh, five months, actually. She's right. I'm wrong. Attaboy. Better get used to saying that. <laughs> I, please, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. She's right. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> See? Catherine Keener is, is like this really lovely woman. She's, what is it? She's a therapist. She's not a therapist. She's a psychoanalyst. Is that what they, like, they make a big distinction at the start. And then Daniel Kalua goes down to have a cigarette and, um, then he's he's like, oh, there's there's Catherine Keener. She's sitting in her chair in her where she works, does her um sessions. And oh my lord, so I had forgotten this, but she's like, do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit. I promise. That's my kid, that is my kid. You understand? Yeah. And oh my, like the way her character in a believable way has turned from like quite like the glue that's keeping kind of the family together, even though she might have a few things that would maybe set a, a red flag or something. It's like, fuck, like, oh my, Daniel, get out of here. And then she's stirring the tea. She basically brings him to the sunken place, which I don't want to spoil if you've not seen the movie, but is a, is a, let, let's just say the sunken place and, and the parents, are not what they seem and yes. they are interested in Daniel Kaluuya in a very dangerous way which also uh, director and writer Jordan Peele is a, it's an allegory for for race uh, racism in America mm-hmm. it is a brilliant movie but god she's so well uh, utilized in that yes. film Yes, I think this is probably certainly at this point in the career where you can reflect back on everything. I think this is the definition of perfect genius casting. It's utilizing the two things we see her do so often: warm maternal type with a sort of edge, and then it just flipping, and it's just that everything goes from behind her eyes as she's then kind of adopts this, like this in this certainly this scene, which is incredible probably the best scene in the film is between her and daniel clue and gosh just how she triggers everything off she is just the one who then just starts changing the course of everything and the intensity and how terrifying she can be it's just this flip and you can sense it coming in the film because there's a sense of foreboding it's heading a certain way but but it is just again it's her in those eyes and poof it just she kind of shuts them off and it's just like oh terrifying terrifying yeah and, and she's doing like it's not i mean it is dramatic in ever in the music and the way it's edited and everything but her performance is very kind of still and as you know yeah. which i think is really admirable for as he, as we've mentioned before with other films like she another person could have leaned into the more dramatic parts of of it yeah she's terrific. exactly and then just that line now sink into the floor sink oh, it's boom. like, oh, it's like yeah. way. it is it is it literally like oh my like it blows your mind i remember seeing in the yeah. cinema yes oh, fuck oh yes God. this is what cinema is it's incredible get out is amazing no get out is good Get out is good. good. Get out is good. No, Get Out is one of the best films of all time ever. And if for any reason you haven't seen it, turn this off right now and go and fucking watch Get Out. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so before we move on, I feel like for as your birthday treat, we have to talk about someone who's who she's worked with kind of from this early career. And who would that writer director be? That would be the marvelous Nicole Hall of Center who has directed Catherine in 
five films, so obviously there's a thing. Um, I love this pairing, and it just makes sense that she would they would want to go back to each other again and again and again. Firstly, because Catherine in a career which is not nearly has enough leading roles, four or when well three definitively sort of lead parts, and the other two kind of very strong supporting roles where she is very mm. present anyway. Um, and they just again talking about two filmmaker and actor whatever film presences who just fully understand each other are on the same wavelength they get sort of what each other's visions are and they completely just make this work but kind of going back to the beginning of the work with hall of center we had firstly walking and talking was their first time working together in fact that was hall of center's first film i believe yes it must have been you getting yeah, more Catherine Keener, that's what we want. She's sort of natural immediately, this lovely glowing presence in this tale of a really interesting friendship. Like, it's very fragmented. They're they're sort of battling off each other and they, they have different directions. They want different things for themselves. They sort of then want the opposite for each other. It's this, I don't know, it's just a really solid um, tale of a friendship. We used to talk about things. You used to need me, for Christ's sake. When something happens to me now, good or bad, I tell you, when something good or bad happens to you, you tell Frank. It feels unfair. So good. And for a film about female friendship in the 90s, even though men do play a part in it, it's for their, their friction is not about a man. Mm-hmm. Like It's about them as friends and growing up and how they're maturing and developing and their lives are growing at different speeds which is really like just really great to spend time with that sort of story exactly no it's it's so wonderful and and she is just she's great here and and it's where you can imagine that the the nicole hall of center would look at Catherine keener in, in this film and go oh i always i just always want you to be there she plays this sort of awkwardness very well and is really funny and Catherine Keener is always really funny in the Hall of Center films even when the material can get a bit darker a bit more uncomfortable she sort of does come in and kind of lightens it with this really interesting awkward type humor which then carries over into Lovely and Amazing which was from 2001 which is a family drama. It's a kind of her and her sister played by Emily Mortimer. Their mum is Brenda Blethyn. They have another sister, um, which is a young uh, black girl that Brenda Blethyn has adopted. It's sort of their dynamic. And specifically at this time, it's sort of this 90s feeling piece dealing with sort of this body dysmorphia that was going on in the 90s from people's exposure to magazines and television and supermodels and all of these things. And Catherine Keener really embodies this. Well, actually, all of the characters do. It's very much about this this attitude to self and, and with that, how they then respond to each other in their family. And maybe this is the reason for her casting in Get Out is her work in Hall of Center's films, is that it, kind of a trend we'll see through them is they're all pretty privileged very white characters and her attitudes especially in this one her attitudes towards the the younger black character 
you know, there's a lot of love there. It's her family, but there is there is a kind of disjointedness. So she plays this white privilege, you know, you know, again, this kind of uncomfortable off characters very well. And she and she does it a few times. And, and I don't imagine it's what she's like in person, but she does it very well. I just, I just, honestly, like, so I know I'm skipping one of the films, but the Please Give, which is the fourth film she made, I... So I re- that's probably my favorite of all of the Holocener directed films too. I've seen. But her trying to give money to what she perceives are homeless people, <laughs> like and her perception of homeless people <laughs> yeah. and why she's doing it, which is guilt, guilt, a white savior complex guilt. But it's so funny because like there's one guy she goes up to and he's just wearing a, a jacket, which she insi- she just uh, presumes would be. A homeless person, but he's not homeless at all. Excuse me, sir. Um, are you hungry? Would you would you like this? I'm waiting for a table. I'm sorry, I really am. I'm so, I'm so sorry. sorry. Really, we're very please sorry. forgive me. I would put my money on saying this is Catherine Keener's best performance, even though I think there's lots of great ones. Because again, it's it's taking the best of everything we've just described from the other ones, an awkward sense of humor, an uncomfortable character, guilty, like under their sort of their own privilege, at sort of loggerheads with themselves. They they can't quite deal with this inner battle they're having. And then please give it manifest in both really, really funny ways, but also really touching and heartbreaking ways, even when there's moments there's one where she goes to volunteer at a gym that uh, works with uh, young people with with down syndrome basically. with down yeah yes i think they they all sort of are yes they have down syndrome and she then just feels so sad being there that she starts crying and runs away and the other character who's there introducing her to it is just like please like leave like you are this yeah. is just not she's okay. told to leave yeah, yeah it's like, not okay behavior it's not it's okay terrible. at all and it's it's in that moment where it's like gosh you you are othering people in in feeling this guilt in this way which is now manifesting in this really problematic way and you need to rein it in and stop it because it's just causing harm rather than any good but you are still kind of moved by the interactions that happen certainly there's a moment where she's then crying afterwards still crying in the bathroom and one of the young girls comes in and, and tries to comfort her and it's really touching it's it's quite heartbreaking the whole thing because it's so complicated it's so murky this whole moment is it's trying to i don't know just deal with the the guilt that comes from being in this sort of privileged position and and i think hall of center does work with that in a really interesting way and Catherine keener is perfect at, at at being the kind of the embodiment of that on screen. And just to round this off, like enough said, which is the at the moment the last film that they've worked on together, uh, Nicole mm-hmm. Holocener and Catherine Keener, is a great film with um Julia Louise Dreyfus and James Gaddafini playing um like they're they're people, more mature people, you know, trying to see whether or not they want to be romantically involved. And Catherine Keener plays the ex 
of James Gandolfini, but also is the new friend of Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And it's it's currently on Netflix, and that is that is just a really fun 90 minutes to sit and watch. Catherine Keener is not the lead in this film. She's kind of like an antagonist fun thing. She keeps, you know, saying yeah. awful things about her ex-husband. I think that my ex, all he would have wanted is for me to accept his belly and all of his quirks. Mm. In the end, I was completely repulsed by him sexually. Oh. Kind of terrible in bed. And it's very clumsy. Oh, God, no. And Julia uh, is trying to, like, figure out how does she keep this friendship and this potential relationship going. And, you know, it, it's not much to do with Kevin's character, so I guess there's not much point talking about it here. But I I recommend that. I, re- I would nearly recommend all of those films. Um, but oh, definitely, yeah, please give. Definitely. Well, yeah, I would also recommend them all full-heartedly. Even Friends with Money, the one we skipped over from 2006. I think it's perhaps weaker than these, but there's lots of good things to it. We talked about it briefly when we talked about John Cusack as well. But yes, yeah, certainly these ones, Enough Said and Please Give. Enough Said is far more for um, James Gandolfini in what was his last film role and is just adorable and wonderful, wonderful in this film. And the relationships in it are all just so much fun to watch. It it's um it's beautiful. It's a wonderful film. It is a wonderful film, and it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful birthday, and we are going to play a game. Woohoo! I to love celebrate your, to celebrate your birthday and to celebrate Catherine. Gorgeous. Um, it will be Catherine focused. The prize is my my present to you. So if you lose, I get to keep your present. If you win, you get to get a present from me. <laughs> oh, okay, gosh, well, I better bloody win. And I'm going to show you what the present is. So the present is your own Don't Know Her personalised mug. Oh my God, that's gorgeous. It's got my name on it in the star. <gasps> well, my goodness, if I don't get this mug now, I mean, what are you going to do with a Scott Thompson mug? Like, that's that's not going to work for you. So I know I'm getting... No, and if anyone listening wants to buy one, they're $9.99 at um, a store near you. No, they're not. But <laughs> I mean, maybe one day we do merch. I am actually really impressed with this mug. So um, gorgeous. I can't wait to see yeah, it. Yeah, it's all to play for. Okay, so for the first question, IMDb, you type in Catherine, what are the first four suggestions? Who comes up? Oh. What Catherine's? Oh, what Catherine's come up when you type in Catherine? So, but you're still spelling it right, so it's Catherine with a C. Spelling it right. I think Catherine with a K Hepburn is going to come into the and come into your room in the night and stab you with that sort of chat. There's there's loads of ways to spell Catherine, no, but I'm spelling it. it. I mean spelling it right, as in the correct spelling of Catherine Keener. Don't be an arsehole. <laughs> I'm spelling. I'm spelling it uh, like Catherine Keener's name. Yeah. Yes. Well, but, yeah. That's what I meant. Thank you. Thank you for being <laughs> so helpful there. So Catherine's with a C. Other ones that are coming up. Bef- like, well, Catherine Keener has to be one of the first four. She is. She's the fourth person. Yeah. She's the fourth person. So there's three others above her when you type in Catherine with a C. Catherine. I really hope you need to uh, hints because I would gladly provide. Yeah, there's. I literally no. The only one I accept is Catherine Keener. Oh God, I don't know Catherine Hardwick. 
No. Thank God. <laughs> I feel like she's a Catherine with a C. That's the only reason I say that. Um, Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah, baby. No, that that is fine. That is fine. I fully accept Catherine Zeta Jones is allowed to be the probably the number one, right? I hope she's number one. Yeah, and her her top video, her top um thing on her filmography is her smoky eye video on Instagram where she's oh, trying yeah, to sell her makeup. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone no. by Catherine Zeta Jones makeup and coffee and other homeware. <laughs> yeah, you can't see me right now, but I'm all smoky eye. <laughs> you, you're always all smoky eye, thanks to Cassazita Jones. <laughs> um, so there's Cat, there's... Oh god! Okay, I'm so glad I got that. I would have literally ended the podcast now and jumped out of my window. <laughs> well, you might feel the same about one of the others. Oh fudge! Ka- okay, I just need to stop and say it again, Catherine Deneuve. No. No. What? I guess IMDb is a very like skewed to America, is it? I wonder why. <laughs> Justice for Catherine Deneuve. Okay, let me do it again. I still need to just say it out loud again. So Catherine Catherine. Cause that one those two came to me when I said it out loud. Catherine one of them, I will say, there's one that I you will know. The other one, I have, I didn't know this person. This woman that I don't know has yeah. done movies: Reading Crashers, Knocked Up, I Love You Man, Friends with Benefits, and the TV series is called Working Moms. I wouldn't know this person. No, I don't know if I'm going to then. So she is the. Daughter of Ivan Reitman, the director. She is Catherine Reitman. Catherine Reitman. Okay. Catherine Reitman, though, I'm sure she's great. No idea why she's number one on IMDb. Number one? Above Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yeah. And now the third one also is Canadian, I can say. Catherine O'Hara. Yeah! Oh, thank God, she is a C, isn't she? Okay, that's a good one. So good. So, yeah. So, you got three out of five. So, three of those are perfect people. Yeah. One of them I don't know, but she may also be perfect. She will be perfect. Um, So, do you know what, when John Malkovich was first shown the script for being John Malkovich, what he thought or who he thought should be the title character or the person they went into the brain of. So as they went to John Malkovich and said, we've got this film, and he said, what a great idea, but instead of me, you should do this person. No, I think he was just like, why me? Like, surely this person might be better. This is what he said in, in an independent oh my um, God. interview recently. Who would have been better? So the film is 1999. So someone who was probably a big deal in nine, no, but also maybe. Oh gosh, I would never. I'm just gonna. Literally, for whatever reason, the first name that came into my head was like Dustin Hoffman. Don't know why, but it's uh, maybe gonna be uh, someone. Well, no, I don't fucking know. No, I know, it's, but it's, I, I wouldn't want to be in Dustin Hoffman. Other head, people but... who are in it, Charlie Sheen, he's in that film. So Charlie yeah. Sheen could be him. It was Tom Cruise, which makes sense of the time, like. 
oh, that does make complete sense. Sure, that makes complete sense. But there was no. But would have been a no different way. Film. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that that's that nuts. No, there's a reason it's being John Malkovich and not being Tom Cruise. Gosh, because that would be a very complicated film. That would be very complicated. So for my last question, this is this is a bit off the wall, but I'm getting you know it's a Charlie Kaufman esque inspiration. Who whose brain do you think? I would like to go into, and I have written it down. I've written down who my my choice. Like, if I could open a door and go into a portal, whose brain do I want to spend like five minutes in? Like experiencing their life, like in being John Malkovich. But you really specifically want to be them. Okay, but you're going to have to give me like five guesses. Or do you just want me to get it in one? All right. I think you should guess. I'd love to just... Okay, but are we talking just like... Uh, maybe I don't want to play like giving the kind of game away, but is it also an an actor slash actress? Is it a... It's a film. It's a film-orientated person, yes. Okay, so my immediate answer is Diane Weiss then. Oh, that is a... <laughs> oh, no, I then know the answer is Diane Keaton. It's Diane Keaton. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. I got it in two. I got it in two. <laughs> Diane Keaton. I just had to say Diane out loud to be like, no, die. Of course. Well, yeah, like, if anyone looks at her Instagram, how could you not want to spend time in Diane Keating's head? Imagine the shit she no. gets up to. That's very fair. I only said Weiss because I always just think of her when I think of you very immediately. But Diane Keating, oh. I, I, I understand that it would also be a probably a more interesting way to spend five minutes and then be flushed out in the side of a highway so sure true i was once called handsome but you saying you think of diane weist when you think of me <laughs> is, a, is actually the top compliment i've ever been given so thank oh you good because you're not handsome <laughs> <laughs> ouch just kidding you are <laughs> Well, this is why we're on a podcast, like an audio medium. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely you. So, I mean, the, the brilliant news is um, you get the mug. Oh, Woo! thank gosh. Oh, my goodness. So this will be shipped to you. It looks good. I will just vouch for the listeners that the mug looks really classy. Um, and I can't wait to drink out of it at work and for people to be going huh he's a star and I'll be like, wait hold on why are you not listening to this podcast weird just kidding shout out to my colleagues who do actually listen to the podcast oh <laughs> and so what were you thinking what is your top birthday wish for Catherine keener oh my god my top birthday wish okay hold on let me think what i would want most for her um I had to think about this. So I have come up with three wishes and mm -hmm. I think two of them are quite interchangeable, but actually they're doing different things. Okay, let's go with this just because I probably get the most enjoyment or no, not necessarily. I have gotten a lot of enjoyment when she has done this before is to me, she feels like a very experimental-minded performer, or certainly very game. Even when she is doing sort of restrained performances, perhaps, her choices do seem to be very interested. You can immediately go to, obviously, Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman stuff, um, or even, say, Get Out with Jordan Peele a few years ago. These are kind of really interesting choices, which it takes a sort of game performer to be like, 
yeah, this is good stuff. I want to be involved in this. So I want more of that. I want to see her kind of stretch that a little bit more. So I'm not specifically thinking of what that might look like. I'm just going to throw a list of names for this thing, which probably means her working with more European directors. So all of these, I'm like, why have they not worked with them before? When I was writing them down, I was like, why not before? Why not before? So I'm going to say Lars von Trier, obviously um, very controversial director, Melancholia, Dogville, um, all of these. All Antichrist. Of these. Antichrist. Nymphomaniac. Just all of the good stuff. Um, but heavy stuff. But I think she would fit in really well there. Um, Leo Carax, who directed a film called Holy Motors, has a musical coming out this year um, called Annette. I think that they would work really well together. Um, Michael Haneke, I think she'd get on really well with. And then Paul Verhoeven and Claire Denis, to name another couple, if they wanted to do English language films. Um which they have both done before, um, or all done before, I would be very much game to see see her in them. Just because it makes sense. I do think she... I imagine Catherine Keener has really interesting taste. And she does flex that, but I'd really like her to flex it more. Or maybe that's not the point. I would like these people to offer her these parts so she can flex that more. So that's um, my first. My first wish. I... Just to bounce off that as my first thing is um, I wrote down Paolo Sorrentino, who is the filmmaker behind Il Divo, uh, This Must Be The Place, and importantly for me, The Great Beauty. And I was thinking uh, kind of what exactly what you were saying in terms of, you know, she does these contemporary films and she would fit into that world. But there's something in The Great Beauty. There's this sequence. Um, so The Great Beauty is about this man who's kind of meandering through life, but he's appreciating it and, and loving it and kind of, you know, it's it's a very mm. I know, existentialist exploration of, like, what is the meaning of life? Um, what is the purpose? And there's something about, like, Catherine Keener slotting into that sort of character or that world I think she, it would be so good. He also, you know, on TV's done The Young Pope. I just think she would fit in really well. Um, so, yeah, whatever they would choose to do together, I'd love that. I love that. Okay. Well, I think maybe our choices are going to be sort of like leapfroggy here then, which is good. So, kind of similar to what I last said about European directors and then sort of what you've said... Um, it, it literally kind of how you describe her slotting into those. But someone I really specifically want, and I think also, because when I was thinking of those names I said in my last piece there, um, Isabel Huppert is an immediate name that sort of slot has probably worked with quite a few of those directors, for example. And I can kind of see them bringing something similar. And specifically now, I'm thinking of a film called Things to Come, directed by Mia Hansen-Love. So I want Catherine Keener to be a solid lead, as in a whole movie built around them, the complexities of a woman dealing with whatever it might be at this stage in their life, and just bringing everything that they do. And Isabel, Isabel Huppert in that film is amazing, but I can imagine Catherine Keener could channel those similar energies um and i would just love to see those two pair together so 
I I would my birth other birthday present we're now stacking them up I'm gonna have a pile very high but Mia Hansen love directing a Catherine Keener film would be literally heaven to me I mean that sounds um sounds incredible I feel like we might go, uh, there might be a diversion here in terms of us moving together. Um, So someone that I think she has a similar energy to, but she's a more like reserved version of is Lisa Kudrow. Um, Lisa Kudrow, who is like very energetic and kind of, I don't know, like sophisticated, but a bit silly. I want them in some kind of um, Rami and Michelle high school reunion type film where they sure. and maybe um Mira Savino who play who is in Rami and Michelle with Miss Kudrow can be in it and it'd be good the three of them doing something I'm thinking a tone of like Rami and Michelle or um Barb and Star um I something something really silly and fun and I think I don't know. Lisa Kudrow, Mira Savino, and Catherine Keener would have a whale of a time. I can't imagine where they. I just imagine they're going on a trip, or like they get like caught up in some kind of silly storyline. You know, I don't need it to break to be bold new cinema. I just want them to have a great, great time. These three actors who probably don't get the best parts anymore, um, to just have a great time in a medium budget mainstream movie. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. Okay. Well, then mine's kind of then now veers more towards some slightly, definitely more mainstream than say Mia Hansen Love for the directors I named earlier. But in terms of kind of what she'd done with Charlie Kaufman, which is, I mean, very kind of niche, but I would be then interested in seeing her in, well, obviously she's done broader comedy too, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, but I would like kind of those worlds to collide and sort of be the broader comedy, like commentary type films. So say if James L. Brooks ever decided to do another film, like broadcast news, something like that, I would love to see her doing something like that. And then there's also the ones which are more likely like David O. Russell or Adam McKay. I just see her, especially David O. Russell, if I think of say, um, I Heart Huckabees, I can imagine Catherine Keener in that odd world based on what she's done before and also the energy she brings. But Adam McKay also, because there's also like a million parts going in any given film apparently these days, like surely there's like, come on, like Catherine would be great. Um, maybe as I kind of send off my three wishes there into the atmosphere, I just, I love her so much and I just want, more and I would just be glad to see anything but come on more leads like she proved how good she was just a few years ago again in Get Out so come on saying that I do um, I do see Catherine Keener still getting kind of Oscar nominations wins in her future it would not surprise me at all with the right role no and she's really well connected and like she seems to have a lot of like she seems to work with people who really you know, she must have a connection with or appreciate it in some way because they keep working together. Um, to end all this and to kind of summarise, like, us wanting her to be, like, kind of more centre stage, or not even if she's, like, taking the lead role, but more appreciated, I want there to be a film called Being Catherine Keener, and it may be, <laughs> it may be linked to being John Malkovich, but it could be something totally oh different. Oh, my... But... <laughs> 
but it also because as you say like you could play around with persona of her as if like you know rich successful like cultured woman that lives in kind of a you can imagine this kind of creative bubble I think there's a real fun film you could make. Maybe um, Nicole Holofsinger makes it with oh, Charlie Oh, my God, it's oh, no. so good. This is literally such a good idea. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like my mind is blown. Whoa. Yeah. I would throw away all of my wishes, actually, for that one to come true. <laughs> well, we'll see. And before we go, this is going to be a new bit, but now we're going to, like, just before we say goodbye and we, like, leave Catherine Keener, mm. you know, um, in this podcast episode, uh, all our love for her like solidified out into the ether. We're gonna talk. Gonna each of us say one film which we really recommend people to go out and watch. And what would your choice be, Scott? Okay, um, because I think ugh, I'm gonna choose this one. There's there's films that we've spoken about which I think are overall better. But I therefore imagine people have already seen them. So I am going to go back to what I think is Nicole Hall of Center's best. And I'm going to say, please give. I think anyone would sit down in front of it and be both charmed by it and intrigued by its interesting maneuvers around privileged New York folks and sort of what happens in their lives. It's funny. It's touching. It's smart. Please give is my choice. And mine, even though I really struggle with the title, um, is Senadoke, New York, which is Charlie Kaufman's film. And we didn't go into great detail. It's mainly because Catherine Keener's part, she's kind of more of a facade. Like, that's the thing. It's about this creative man who wants to, like, really tell, or put on a stage production that reflects life truthfully but it goes to extremities. This guy just keeps getting carried away, away, away with it. And he gets older and older and older. And you keep meeting these new people, but it's, it's amazing. And if for nothing else, I recommend watching this movie because we're definitely going to be talking about it at some point because it has Samantha Morton. It has Emily Watson. It has Diane Weist. It has Hope Davis. It has all these great actors in it that have good, good, you know, I would say they're underappreciated in their careers. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's amazing in it. Um, it it's really great. It is. It, it's a, incredibly, again, like being John Malkovich, is incredibly ambitious. I mean, this is an ambitious film that just keeps sort of growing and growing. It's epic. It's amazing. Well, what a joy to spend this birthday episode talking about Catherine Keener. I was so glad that we that you chose her. Oh, so good, you, good, and 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 even though I've piled up all of these gifts now, and and the mug is on its way, um, it's a huge gift for me knowing that you have now watched all of these films, and you have this even, you know, greater appreciation for this this actress who I fully, fully love and have loved since I was, you know, a a, a young teen getting into films so what a gift it has been a joy and and thank you for for humoring me with this on my birthday oh well don't worry when it's my birthday i'll get you back (laughs) (laughs) um so we'll be back next time with someone very exciting um but in the meantime you can find us on social media we're on twitter and instagram at don't know her underscore pod 
or feel free to drop us an email at don'tknowherpod at gmail.com with any thoughts. Please tell us if if you think we're totally wrong. <laughs> if you think 40-year-old virgin is pro- like the, the most, um, I don't know, a film that still resonates today and I just don't understand. Yeah, please it, actually um, tell us. <laughs> please tell us. And yeah, yeah, go out, watch films, live your lives, have fun. Yeah, absolutely. All of those things and more. Thanks for listening again, everyone. Lots of love and to you as well, Michael. You too. And happy birthday. Thank you so much. Till next time. Bye bye.